not too long ago, I was in a meeting with a group of pastors, and one of the pastors said, you know, every Monday we go back over the worship service from the day before, and we talk about, so when did we really see God? You know, did we, did we experience God in this song or in this prayer or this, this moment? When did we see God? And then the follow-up question is, what did we do about it? Did we, did we respond correctly to when we saw God? I don't know why it is the tune of that last song. I don't know. Uh, the words, I hope, uh, gave wings to our soul and to our prayer. You probably know the story of the old hymn, It Is Well, that maybe resounds in some of you who sang it and makes that song easy to sing and put your praise on those words. The story, as I recall, the man sent his wife and kids on to England as he closed a business deal and then was going to take a ship over to be with them. And the ship uh, sank at sea and all of his children died except his wife lived. And she sent a very simple uh, telegram, uh, saved alone. He'd already heard the story, but she, she signed it that way. And on his way to be with her, the captain of the ship came to him and said, I just want you to know it's, it's right about here where that other ship sank. If you want to take a moment of, of grieving for your children. And that was where he wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it is well, it is well for my soul. There are times it's really easy to trust God. There are times it's really hard to trust God. But I hope that in that moment of worship, you were saying, okay, Lord, I still believe you're good and your ways are right, and I trust you. And I want you to know that's not today's sermon. So we're going to move on. You ready? <laughs> if you have your Bibles, look into Ephesians chapter 6. Maybe it should be today's sermon, uh, but it's, it's not. You have put some pressure on me to finish the book of Ephesians. And so I, I'm trying to stay on track. I may not quite do what the sermon plan calls for. I may not end it when I'm supposed to, but we're, we're moving there, all right? And today we've come, if you look on the inside panel of your ministry guide, we have said the theme of Ephesians is that since the Father has given us new life in Christ, that was chapters 1 through 3, now we ought to live a new way in the Spirit. That's chapters 4, 5, and 6. Understanding our identity in Christ becomes reality in how we live. And we saw in Ephesians 5 the understanding of being filled with the Spirit and then how the fullness of God's Spirit in our life begins to cascade down through the relationships, through concentric circles, yes, and moving through the way we see each other in the church, the way we treat each other in our marriages, the way we live together with children, and now we come to how we demonstrate Christ in the workplace. So today we're going to talk about how the fullness of the Spirit impacts our work. So let's talk about work for a minute. What kind of jobs have you had in your lifetime until now? 
I've had some really interesting jobs. I had a lawn mowing business, bought my own riding lawnmower. I walked into the bank and told the guy I wanted to borrow the money. Uh, he told me, what are you going to do? I said, well, I think it's called a signature loan. I was 12 years old, I think. I said, I think it's called a signature loan, and I want to I borrow the money, and I'll pay it off. You can give it to me on terms of one year, but I'll pay it off this summer. And when I left, he called my mother and said, he sure is cute. Now, you know I can't do that, uh, but if you're willing to stand with him, I'll give you the loan. I didn't know that until years later. And so I, that was my first business, you know. I owned a lawn mowing business. But then I worked at a textile mill. I worked pumping gas. All this is still in high school, all right. I was buying my own car and my own clothes, and I think it taught me a lot preparing me for work that I didn't like for the years to come. Now, after that, I did things like I drove a school bus two different times, two different places. I worked for UPS early in the morning, loading boxes on the trucks, you know, getting up at 3 a.m., going in and doing that. Now, before I did that, I had probably the most interesting job that I have had in my entire career. I delivered worms. No, I was not a like a doctor giving birth to the worm. That's not, not that kind of delivery. I took worms from a worm farm, I guess it would be, and drove them to places to deliver them, mainly one big client. Filled my car full of worms in the back and, and took those worms from Fort Worth up to Denton, Texas. Anybody else deliver worms? Okay, all right. See, I got you, all right. I had probably the most creative, interesting job. Didn't pay much, and so I was sure glad when I was able to start working for UPS. I could work 20 hours and get 40 hours pay, and, and took a lot of sweat, but they, it was great. Got me through seminary. And since that time, I haven't worked a day for a living since. I've been a pastor. At least that's what my father-in-law used to say. Hadn't met a pastor yet, had enough sense to change a tire. You know, I mean, he, he'd been the deacon in the church, and he'd, he'd never seen a pastor that knew how to work or what to do. But, you know, some ways I feel like the job I'm in now at the North American Mission Board, at times I really feel like it's work. I have to get up in the morning. I have to fight traffic to get there. I have to put together budgets and oversee people and, and deal with initiatives and projects. So though my product may be church planting, I, I've experienced at least some of what you guys go through when you really work, all right? How does knowing Christ impact the workplace for a believer? Before we dive into this, there's a couple more things I need to ask to get you thinking how this text applies. Have you ever worked for a boss that you were smarter than that boss? Anybody? Yeah? yeah. You ever worked for a boss you didn't respect? You ever worked for a boss that made you call him boss? That, that proved he was in charge? Yeah, you probably have. And there's going to be some things in this morning's text that are going to help us see how a believer demonstrates Christ in the workplace, regardless of the work environment. So, with your Bibles opened or with your ministry guide ready to read the text before us today, 
Let me, let me comment on the inside there, Ephesians and Colossians. The Colossian passage is a parallel passage written about the same time, and it's many times one can be a commentary on the other. We're not going to try to unpack it this morning, but we are going to use it as a parallel insight that you can take home and read for yourself. So Ephesians chapter 6, you know we haven't done this lately. Why don't you stand in honor of God's word? Remembering the picture in the Old Testament when they brought out the book and they brought out the first pulpit that we know of and they laid down the book. The people were so amazed that they could hear God's word that they stood in honor. Didn't have a sound system. It says they, they had people along the way that would interpret what was being said and it was a Holy Spirit inspired gossiping session, you know, where they, one was proclaiming it, reading it, and the others were helping to explain it and apply it. Today, you just got to listen to me, all right? I hope you listen to him, but let's look at God's word. And as we read it, I'm going to ask you to start praying right now. Lord, I believe this is your word, so speak to my heart. Let's read it together. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So, Lord, today we look to your word and we believe you've inspired it, you've protected it, and now you've delivered it to us. So, we believe that you will use it by your spirit to speak to our hearts. You know the secret places. You know the secret struggles. You know the future struggles and the things we're trying to overcome from the past. So use your word as we seek to encounter you praying, Lord, speak to my heart. For that is our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated? This morning as we approach this text, I feel like I have no choice but to address the context. What about slavery? Just, I can't ignore that. I, don't, I know that some of you might not be able to listen to anything else if I don't at least address that. Then we're going to look at the text, the work, the worker and the workplace. Then we're going to apply it. What is this impact on my everyday life? By the way, just putting those things on the screen and, and kind of giving you a, an outline I'm in violation of what, uh, I guess it was the owner of Google, is that who it was that came out with this last week, that he had forbidden using any PowerPoints in any of their meetings. Was it Google? Who was it, Johnny? I think it was Google. Huh? Amazon. The, the, the CEO of Amazon will not allow their senior leadership in any of their meetings to use a PowerPoint. He says it's just not compelling 
to just put it up there and make us see your bullet points. Tell us a story. You know, make it fit into our lives. So this morning, I'm violating the good business practice according to Amazon. But I need this. So I'm just going to let you look at my outline. You don't, you don't have to pay any attention. You don't have to write this down. But this is how I'm thinking, I hope, <laughs> how I'm seeking to apply what we, what we see here in the Scripture. So let's do the approach. Let's look at what about slavery. Then we'll get to the text and to the application. Slavery. Well, I guess the thing I would want to make sure you understand is that the Bible does not endorse or encourage slavery. It was, in fact, a reality in Paul's day and globally. I know that there are Teenagers that graduate high school and go away to college and some professors are going to say, let me prove to you how your Bible is out of date and how it's actually misguided Christianity because your Bible talks about slaves and you ought to be ashamed and you need to grow up and think better than your Bible. Well, let's, let's address that just for a minute. In Paul's day, I've read quite a bit this week that I decided not to bore you with. <laughs> but in Paul's day, there was an incredible percentage of people who were house workers as a part of the oikos we talked about back in January, where you live, work, and play. They, they actually lived together in the family. That's why it was so easy for Paul just to keep going as he talked about the, the big house and where everybody lived and worked together. So he moved through family of uh, marriage to children to workers. But the Bible was not encouraging or endorsing slavery. As a matter of fact, the Bible was used by God's Spirit to attack slavery by the way it called for and demanded the dignity of all people. That was not part of the practice in a culture with slaves and masters. That one point alone would be the point I could argue, and we could move on, but I wanted to argue one more, <laughs> all right? So I wanted to present to you the context of slavery, not endorsing or encouraging, but demanding dignity for all people. You read it, and, what we, and we're going to see it as we go through the text again, but I want to, because I saw four theologians use this word, I want to use this word and plant it in your mind. In fact, the teaching undermines slavery. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In the Old Testament, God kept referring to Israel, reminding them of when they were slaves in Egypt. And he kept saying to them, you need to learn what it's like to have been in bondage and now to be free. And you need to learn but from that how you ought to treat people. When God demanded that his people treat the foreigner among them with dignity, he was establishing through the teaching of his heart how we ought to treat people not like a typical slave master would a slave. Now, by the way, this particular slavery was not racially driven. It was economically driven. It was not like slavery of, of our history here in America that we, we 
try to deal with. And I, I spend a fair amount of time trying right now to deal with this in the inner city and to deal with African Americans and trying to see what we can do to bring healing to our land. And we'll talk about that again another day. But I want you to understand the scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the teaching undermines slavery. Why? Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You see, I mean, I can just bring these two really well-known tenets of Jesus and show how the teaching was trying to say, love your neighbors if they're just like you, if they too are slave owners and not slaves. Love them as yourself. No, it doesn't say that. Jesus very emphatically, confrontationally says, love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the scripture then goes to picture the gospel through being delivered from bondage and brought into freedom. It was the foreshadowing of the gospel in the Old Testament as God tried to demonstrate delivering his people. But it is the explicit teaching of the New Testament showing us how we have been set free from the bondage to sin and we have now found full citizenship in heaven. Now, come on, I'm going to keep preaching this point and run out of time. But you, you get what I'm saying here, all right? So the teaching of the New Testament undermines the whole concept of slavery. And what about the church? Very clearly in the church. In Christ, there is no male or no female, no bond nor free. Straight up, clear teaching. And I just want to let you know, I'm not afraid to go there. It's just not the point of today's sermon, all right? That's the context of what we're reading. Now, let's look at the text. As we look at this text and see what it brings to us, it brings to us, I've tried to take a whole lot of ideas and put them under three headings. First of all, it brings to us the idea of authority. Authority is not something anyone in America wants to talk about because we've had so many people that have misused authority and it's almost like we encourage rebellion is the way to go, all right? And we, we fail to see that God ordained authority to keep things moving. Whether you like who's in charge or not, God established systems where people would be in charge. The government. Understand that you have to submit to the government because they have been tasked by God to punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. And every morning as I start commuting to work and I start down the hill near the house, I'm reminded that I'm under authority. My car's going to try to go faster than 45 miles an hour. And I promise you, I know where the policeman's going to be sitting, either in the car or on the motorcycle, unless he's a little bit up the road with a blue light spinning of who he pulled over, right? There are systems of authority. And in the workplace, though you are smarter than your boss, I, I get that. There's still somebody in charge. 
who writes the fitness report, who recommends promotions, who determines what you're going to get paid. That's how systems work. So in this teaching this morning, we're told to respect authority and look beyond authority as you obey your earthly masters. I I always go read this again in the New American Standard Version because that's where I memorized it years ago. And then I try to go back and look at the Greek text behind it. Obey your masters according to the flesh. That's the literal translation. They may be your fleshly masters, but they're not your spiritual or eternal masters. That picture is going on constantly in this text, right? Did you see it? For where you're working and who thinks they're in charge of the work, and in both cases, it's dealing with authority, how we have to look beyond what we see. Look at verse uh, 5 again. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters, your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. Not that you're to be afraid of them, but you're to respect them, and you're to realize that they are going to make the final call in the earthly environment. And do it with a sincere heart as you would Christ. We're going to see in a minute, the way to respect authority is to look through the authority to the ultimate authority, Christ. Now, I I saw it on the little church billboard down here this morning. If anybody came from this direction, you passed the church there by the graveyard. I I, I read what they put up there, and as I read it this morning, it said, it's not something God does to you, but something God does for you, okay? I don't know if it had anything to do with the sermon this morning where he was, but I was just reminded, often at work, we think that earthly boss is something God did to us, to punish us, rather than recognizing God is doing something for us as he teaches us how to look through authority to the ultimate authority, Christ. That's why he would go on to say in verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Authority, looking beyond it. Second word, diligence or diligently. Notice how we're to work diligently. By the way, the word bondservant there is, is the same word that Paul applied to himself. I think in about five different uh, introductions, Philippians 1 is one of them, when he said, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So once again, the teaching was undermining the system of slavery. Paul was saying, I'm a servant. And it's the same word I think this used had this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who although he was in the form of God, he did, not re- he did not consider that as something he had to cling to. But he emptied himself and took on the form of a man and became found in the likeness of a doulos, a bond servant. So we're realizing that we are under the authority, looking beyond, but we're to work diligently It's kind of funny. These things haven't worn out in 2,000 years. Working from a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. 
Has that ever happened at work where you are? Uh Uh-oh, here comes the boss. Everybody work harder, at least for a few minutes while he walks through. Huh? That ever happened? It's exactly what he's talking about. Not that you pretend to be working hard when he's looking, and then you work, you know, you just take a nap when he's not looking. But as believers, straight up teaching, we're not to be doing this half-heartedly, but we're to be doing this wholeheartedly. And I, I chose to stick with that word heart because it's used twice here. With a sincere heart as you would to Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond service of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So there's to be a willing spirit, and you're doing God's will when you're doing that work, and you're doing it in a way that you're doing it with your heart, and I'm going to show you in just a second a verse that really drives that part home. But let's look at the next word I've chosen to put before you, kind of putting these two things together of the servant and the leader or the master. Eternity. Did you notice how in both cases there's an explanation of one day, someday, there's a payday? Verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bondservant or is free. In the next verse, talking about the leaders, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. Do you see that eternal look that is put in there? whether it's for the one who is not the boss, not in charge, or the one who is the boss and is in charge, there's a payday someday. I don't know when you get paid. I get paid twice a month. I remember the first time I got a paycheck where they'd taken out taxes. Boy, was I surprised. I thought I was making this much an hour. And all of a sudden, I get this check. And it's nowhere close to that. I'd already done the math thinking about how much money I was going to make. Nowhere close to that. And what is this F-I-C-A stuff anyway? You know, how, how does all that work? How does all that stuff apply to me just trying to make a paycheck? Well... Payday can be a fun day. It can be a confusing day, but there will be a payday someday. Believing that everything we do here has been accounted for there. I'll be candid with you. Sometimes that makes me want to be more fear-motivated than grace-motivated. Just talking about the eternal reckoning does cause childhood fear in my heart Uh uh-oh you mean God sees everything I do Uh uh-oh you you mean God is taking an account of every secret thought and every idle word and I mean that can become such a condemning force 
And I have to throw myself on the grace of God to know as whatever he holds me in account for, I know how it ultimately ends. He's promised me that the blood of Jesus is enough. He has promised me that he will not erase my name from the book of life. I didn't write it there, and I can't keep it there. And I know that it's not by works I've been saved, but by his righteousness. But the same Bible and the same book that we're reading says, For it is by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of your works, lest we go around boasting here or there. But we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's an expectation of how the believer lives under authority, diligently, and with eternity in mind. Now, I don't want to let the bosses off too easy. So let's, let's make sure we apply all of that to verse 9, okay? Masters, do the same to them. What does that mean? Treat them with the dignity that they deserve. Treat them with the honor that they deserve. Help them understand that you're treating them as a fellow heir in Christ. And stop threatening them. There's no way you can call that a Christ-like behavior. I know a whole lot of people that confuse meanness with boldness. They're not the same. Some people by temperament are very quiet, and when they're forced into confrontation, they, they have to work up this meanness. And there's some people who just have a temperament of being stinking mean, you know, and, and they have to understand how to calm all that down. But don't ever think that confronting something boldly is a license to be unchristlike and a license to not have the aroma and fragrance of Christ in your life. So masters, treat them with the dignity they deserve. Don't threaten them. Like, don't you know I'm in charge of you? But know this, the one that is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. There is both a mutuality of, of agreement, there's a dignity, there's an avoiding anger, there's an accountability, and there's an impartiality that is demanded for those who lead. That's just the way God expects in his system of work, which, by the way, work is good. I know it's a four-letter word, but it's not a dirty word, all right? It, it is intended by God. I thought seriously about going to that Old Testament passage and showing you. As I recall, it was the time when they were doing the uh, putting together the tabernacle or the temple, but it it talked about the people and how they were, they had a heart to work. And then it talked about the spirit-filled craftsmen. You know, that's, that's not how we normally think about craftsmen. That here's a guy who is spirit-filled in the, the way he uses his gifting to make something. And God's spirit gave him that capacity. It's the coolest passage. I, I hope you can find it and read. And it doesn't just talk about the 
the orator as being filled with the Spirit, but it talks about the craftsmen and the workers using their Spirit-anointed gifting to do the work. I read one guy who talked about Michelangelo. And he said, you know, when, when he was painting, he didn't have to say, well, boss, I guess I'll go back to work today. Popes came to look at him. He was not an eye pleaser, people pleaser. He was doing his work as unto the Lord. And he might have been more distracted by the big guys watching than he was if they weren't there and just let him do his work. Motivation of the worker and of the leader is understanding authority and diligence and eternity. So let's apply this to mine your life. I, I want to give you, pulling a thread through all of that text, I want to give you three more ideas of daily living, honoring Christ in the workplace. First, enthusiasm. You know where the word enthusiasm comes from? In case I don't, I may bore you guys day in, day out when I keep bringing up etymology. You know, that's not a study of bugs, all right? It's a study of words. And I love to study words because I just like to get a word in my mind and just think about it and just kind of squeeze every little drop of juice I can get out of it. The word enthusiasm is made up of two Greek words, in theos. It's God in you. So when you talk about somebody being enthusiastic, they, they may be lost, but what somebody's seeing is I'm seeing some kind of energy in them, right? I'm seeing something coming from them. They're enthusiastic in their work. Now, I'm not saying you have to force a change in your temperament, but I am saying if Christ is in you, you they shouldn't have to beg you every day to do your work, Right? So we're to be enthusiastic in how we approach our work. We've got the spirit within. But we're to be exemplary in the way we do our work. We're to set the example. Responding through a, a authority and treating people with dignity and respect. Now when I was working at UPS, getting up 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, going in to load those boxes that come to your house. There were two guys, me and one other guy, that went to seminary. All the rest of the folks that worked there came from their musician job, playing in the bars at night. They didn't go home and go to bed. They, they finished their gig and came on over and went to work. And that seemed like where most of them were that came to work there. And let me tell you, those guys, once they found out we were preacher boys, they sure mistreated, yelling at us, trying to get us to do something that was not Christ-like. This is probably really going to encourage you, but there were times when there was a box that had fragile on it, they threw it harder, okay? And you're working on a conveyor belt, and your, your package comes by, and you're supposed to grab it and take it into the package car. By the way, those little brown trucks are package cars in case you didn't know so you're you're supposed to take your package into the three package cars you're loading and sometimes one will get by you on the belt and the next guy sees it got by you and he made sure he delivered it back to you all right throwing it at your head or anything he could and you talk about the struggle to 
uh, display Christ in a hostile work environment. But let me show you what the scripture says about being an example and responding to authority and treating people with respect. Titus chapter 2. I just had to go there this morning because it is such a great illustration passage that shows you how this passage works. So let's look at it together. Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It reads, Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. That, to me, is such an incredible text. By what it says, but the weighty way in which it ends. Adorn the doctrine of God. Now, wait a minute. I don't save anybody. The gospel does. I don't need to convince anybody of who God is. He does the convincing. But the weight that should be on every Christ follower as an ambassador of Christ in the workplace, the way we work does matter because the way we live adorns the doctrine of God. Now, most guys, including me, know almost nothing about adornment. So ladies, help me here for just a minute. Your earrings are not the outfit, but they kind of, you know, they kind of help make, your shoes are not the outfit, and certainly the handbag's not, but the way it kind of all goes together makes it come together in a way that it presents, hopefully not overcomes, but it presents it as a unit. And as best I can understand, that's what the scripture's trying to say. My attitude can distract from the glory of Jesus. Because people are looking at me because I said I follow him. They're looking at me to see what he's like. And I can poorly adorn the representation of Jesus. Or hopefully not cause too much attention to me. I'm at best I'm not even a good earring. I'm a boring shoe or something. No, but, but I've been called to make sure the way I live shows people what Jesus is like. So how does this text talking about slaves and masters apply to us in the workplace as followers and leaders in some environment of an org chart? I just want to close it this way. We're to be enthusiastic the spirit within us is empowering us to do it. We're to be an example, responding to authority and treating people with the respect and dignity they deserve. But we're to always be living as unto the Lord. We're living through the indwelling power of Christ. We're doing our best to have the aroma and fragrance of being like Christ and even if it's not working like it ought to work, it's ultimately for Christ.
Some of you are in great work environments. Some of you are in terrible work environments. Some of you are still trying to get over the way it worked or didn't work one place. And you're sure dreaming there's a magical future place. But today in this place where you are is God speaking to your heart. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word and how it works. How it turns light onto places in our heart that we had not thought about before we walked in this room. It helps make sense of things in our life that we are thinking about walking into this room. Lord, there's some who feel like they're on a dead-end street in their work. There's some who find themselves in so much confusion in their work. There's some who are probably today convicted of the way they're treating people in their work environment. So, Lord, whatever you're trying to say to us individually and corporately, we thank you that your word does work and we follow the pattern of worship. We see you for who you are and how you've designed things. We see ourselves for who we are and how much we need you or we can never walk in what you've designed. We thank you for Christ who came to us to change us from the inside out. So now our worship is back unto you. Father, if there's anything we need to do, give us the grace now to agree and give us the grace to carry it out. If there's anyone here today, Father, that doesn't know the Lord Jesus, may this be the time they understand that we have all sinned and come short of your glory. But Jesus fulfilled your righteousness when he took our sin upon the cross. He demonstrated the victory when he rose up from the dead. And now we pray, Lord, that you would be eternal life living in through us as we respond to Jesus. For it's in his name we pray.